1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. I am Charlie. And I'm Eva. And I can't believe it's been two weeks. Right. We had a week off, so we're edgy to get back. Yeah. Happy President's Day, belated. Um, The mission of Corporate Talk is to leave no stone unturned, use all of our collaborative energies to simply make the workplace a better place. That's exactly right. Our model is shared leadership. A lot of people want to know what that is. Mm -hmm. Think of it as leveraged leadership or leadership with leverage. Um, And uh, if you want to learn more about that, just contact me, charliespeaking.com, or email us at the radio station, ctradioinfo at gmail.com. Perfect. And a couple of things. We have uh, your unbelievable workshop, which we're going to talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, That's Wednesday in Cincinnati area.
2: Yes, it's Wednesdays. We're starting up again March 18th in Cincinnati. It's a five-week workshop. And although I do talk about stage fright, it's more about learning how to speak up and letting go of your fears and being able to just sit in the spotlight, whether it be at a conference room table, one-on-one, or up in front of a group. It doesn't matter. Right, and what we're learning is it's all about commitment, right? Well, it's all about commitment once you're up there, right? So when we're on when we're on the air, we're committed to being on the air for this hour. So it's all about commitment. Go
1: all in. So, no, yeah, what I mean is, you know, in the corporate world, um, we get a lot of attendees and they're committed up until someone higher than them in the chain tells them to do something else.
2: Um, yeah, I agree with that. And then they're also, I think what I'm finding a lot is that people are committed up to a point. The problem is, is that at the end of the day, it's us that has to do the work and we never want to look at it that way. I know I fought it for many years too.
1: Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, so that workshop is a great thing. Um, and we have another one coming up on Saturday also in the Cincinnati area, which is, um, our shared leadership session Um, which is a great first step in becoming CARE certified in the workplace. Um, That's also in the Cincinnati area. It's our way we're working with Communiversity, and it's our way of giving back. Mm -hmm. So anybody that wants to know anything about the uh, workshops that we're doing, just reach out.
2: Well, it's how to be a leader regardless of your position. Yes. Right? So we help people with that and we help,
1: and then we also help you learn how to speak up and get noticed. So like it teaches me, right? Like you're in charge, but it teaches me how to be a leader here.
2: Regardless. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh yeah, I'm in charge. Okay. Yeah, I just got that. (laughs) Um, Okay. We have a really, really fantastic show today. Um, We're going to learn some tools that we all can use. Yes. You know, I wanted to actually talk about this
2: because I've been reading a lot about this lately about it's about snoring and sleep apnea, which people will think, well, why are we talking about that on corporate talk? Right. But I mean, sleep is so essential. It's so essential to being to being on your game in the workplace. And what I've been reading about lately is just about breathing and how important breathing is. And everybody thinks, you know, well, what we breathe. What, you know, what do we have to look at when it comes to breathing? But there's so many different things that we have to look at when it comes to breathing. And I know, you know, we can talk to Tess about that today because I know that she has a lot of tips around how to breathe properly. And just because you're breathing doesn't mean that you're breathing
1: properly. And I know that sounds right. a little far fetched, but it's true. Um, and yeah, so we take pride here in the content we bring. And we also take pride in the fact that we, meet all of our guests, or at least 99% of our guests. Mm-hmm. And we did have the privilege of meeting Tess um, in New York last year. And I just wanted to bring that up because there were hundreds of people that we met. And Tess's expertise just jumped off the page at us.
2: Oh, yeah, she was right? really good.
1: And, um, so, and the other thing I want to mention is that Tess Graham is – coming to us live from the other side of the planet, amazing. which is amazing. So we don't want to keep her. I'd like to introduce her right now. Uh, Tess Graham, are you with us?
3: I certainly am, Charlie.
1: Hey, Tess, thank you so much. Welcome to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Hi, Tess.
3: (laughs) Hi, it's it's fabulous to be here.
1: Excellent. So uh, before we start, um, tell us, Um, maybe your contact information and a little bit about what you do so that our listeners get some some uh, info before we start.
3: Okay. Now, the best place to contact me is through my website, which is breathability.com.au. That's B-R-E-A-T-H-E, ability.com.au. There's a lot of information on the website and also information... Uh, about the book that I've written to help people breathe better, which is called Relief from Snoring and Sleep Apnea. So the book is actually far more general than the topic.
1: Excellent. And can we
3: than the title? Per-
1: can we purchase that book from your website or how else can we can, purchase that book?
3: You can purchase it from my website and also there's a, a, an audio that goes with it, a companion product to actually teach you the breathing exercises. But the book is also now available on Amazon. Which is much less expensive um, through Amazon US. Much less expensive to buy it there because the postage is so much less.
1: Excellent. Um,
3: and the, so uh, the audio that I've got on my website is available by MP3 now, so that that doesn't have any postage. And that the only place that, that can be obtained is from my
1: website. Interesting. You describe yeah. the audio as an audio companion to the book. Is that similar to uh, maybe one of your workshops or what's unique about the audio? Um,
3: the audio is me teaching you the breathing techniques that you've learned about in the book. For you. It, it doesn't work by itself. The book describes why you need need to change what you do. So the book helps you find what poor breathing habits you've got that need changing and the audio will actually talk you through some of those changes. So it's sort of a, it's me as if I was just there in the room teaching you the exercises, but all the, you still need the information that's in the book. We actually have something new now, which is an online course. And this is me teaching you the whole program that I've been doing here for 23 years. Teaching it online, there's about tw- um, 12 lessons, about three and a half hours of content on there. So that's a fabulous way for people who want to have me teach them but can't come to Australia. Wow. Well,
1: I kind of would prefer to come to Australia. (laughs) But no, excellent. So, um, and I want to mention that, you know, uh, Tess is the creator of the Breathability for Health seminars and programs. Um, And did you mention that this is, you've been doing this for 20 years?
3: 23 years I've been doing it, yes.
1: Wow, and I can you just share where the expertise came from?
3: And my original training is as a physiotherapist, which uh, in the States is both a physical therapist and a respiratory therapist. And so I was sort of working with breathing in the conventional way through that, but two of my three children had asthma, and I couldn't help them with the standard breathing exercises that that we use, and I did a lot of research on breathing and came up with uh, the work of three um, doctors in various places around the world, one in Russia, one in the States, and one in, in the UK, who had a different way of looking at the connection between the way you breathe and asthma and all sorts of conditions. So I then had my children taught the Russian breathing method. Called the Butenko method, and that was the end of their asthma after seven years of just getting worse and worse. So, I then trained with a Russian practitioner, and um, also looked at the, the work of these other doctors. And so, from that point onwards, which was in 1993 or 1992, I've done nothing but teach this breathing now.
1: Wow! So, so well, asthma messed with the wrong person. <laughs> right? <Yes>. That's right. <laughs> and and through your research you found these guys they were different than what you what the conventional approach was to breathing? Is there actually an approach to breathing?
3: Um the text use very little approach at all because most of asthma treatment and snoring and sleep apnea treatment, it's not around Treating the underlying breathing dysfunction, which is always there, no exceptions. It's all about, you know, medications or appliances or surgeries. Right. To deal with the symptoms that show up. But the underlying faulty breathing habits, which are in 100% of cases, they're not dealt with at all.
1: Right.
2: Yeah, you know, because... Uh, everything I've read online when it comes to snoring and sleep apnea, and I will be, you know, honest, and I think I told you this when we met, was that I'm the one that has the issue with snoring. And it just started happening, like in the last couple of years. I didn't have it before. And I have it now, and so I didn't even know I had it until Charlie said I had it. And, but I do notice that I have these weird dreams, and I wake up with a racing heart and when i was looking at when i was looking everything up online it all it talked about was you could either have surgery or you could wear th- that device but no one ever talked about breathing now i've been reading about breathing just to help for energy during the day but i've never heard about using breathing to help you at night and so that's what i find really interesting about your technique and the method that you studied because i've never heard of it and when you go to google online to find out about how to handle snoring. It never talks about it, which is amazing.
3: Yeah, I've met so many people. I mean, I've taught this method now to well over 6,000, but so many of them with, you know, even a simple snoring issue, they haven't connected that it's got anything to do with breathing. And this is because all the options that they're given have got nothing to do with it. And and one of the the reasons that, that something so simple yet profound has been missed is that checking someone's, the way they're breathing, is not part of standard medical diagnosis for anything, including breathing-related problems like asthma, snoring, sleep apnea, and even well, panic attacks sometimes, it's noticed there. So, for example, when someone goes to the, the doctor to report snoring or potential sleep apnea problem um, or asthma, the way they are breathing right there in front of the doctor is not checked so they, they never get their respiration rate counted, yet I've been counting them for you know, over 20 years now. And usually, the, on average, they're more than double the normal rate sitting there in front of you. And then at night time, same thing. But this is just being missed because it's, it's quite, actually quite subtle. Someone can be breathing 17 to 22 times a minute, which is really common during the day, and it, it's not noticeable to anybody. And, at, and in bed at night, your average snorer is breathing up, you know, 17 to 20 times a minute, and during sleep apnea, up to 22. Or when they're actually breathing, but that is not measured in the sleep studies that people have to, to diagnose this condition. They sleep all night there. They measure oxygen levels, how long you hold your breath, um, the, sort of the, the decibels of the snoring sometimes are measured, but no one counts how fast they're breathing. And this is the absolute key to it. And the same with people with asthma. They're breathing generally three times more air than they should be.
2: I ah. know yeah, that's really amazing. And we're about to take our first break. But, you know, when we get back, I wanted to talk a little bit about how then you actually learn how to breathe and then it almost sounds like you have to do almost breathing exercises. So I think that'd be really interesting to hear, um, you know, what that all entails. Because what I've seen, it just shows you how to do different breathing exercises, but it doesn't really talk about, they never really talk about how to keep doing that throughout the day. So we are about to take our first break. So stay with us, everyone. And then when we come back, we will talk more about snoring and sleep apnea and the cure with Tess Graham. We'll be right back.
4: C.A.R.E. Certification in the Workplace is the award-winning shared leadership training seminar that will revolutionize your career and position you as the go-to person in your organization, regardless of your job description. C.A.R.E. is the acronym for Courage to Take Action Relevant to Everyone. This means your new workplace mission is to deliver results for the good of the company, but not at the expense of others. Up until now, CARE certification was only available through company-sponsored seminars. But now you can become CARE certified in the workplace on your own time. Order Module 1 today and begin the transformation. There's unlimited opportunity in the workplace today, provided you have the right strategy. Becoming CARE certified is the right strategy. For more information and to order, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com.
0: And now, let's return to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com.
2: Welcome back, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is Tess Graham, and we're discussing breathing techniques to help with snoring and sleep apnea and so much more than that because I think once you get your Breathing under control, it can really help with so many other different issues. So Tess, I know before the break we were talking about um, when we go to the doctor, no one here ever looks at your actual breathing, even though you tell them that you have snoring issues or even you have anxiety issues. They never talk about breathing for that, and I know that it can help for that. So when it comes to you know trying it at home, what's the first thing? Is there something that we can do at home which would just tell us right away how many breaths we're taking, I guess we're counting in a minute, and what the normal number of breaths per minute is and what the optimal number of breaths per minute is.
3: I think the most important thing is, and, and really the simplest as well, and least time consuming, is to first of all become aware of what normal, healthy breathing looks like mm. and then have a look at how you're breathing. Now this is where you've got to overcome some some myths out there about how we should be breathing. So the first thing is to understand that healthy normal, and this is you know what's called physiological normal breathing. Um, it's not what I came up with. It's not what any of these researchers I looked at came up with. This is just you know straight out of the physiology textbooks. So it should only be through the nose, in in the nose and out the nose, all day, all night, and even if you're running a marathon. That that may be quite different to what your coach at the gym may tell you or your sports coach somewhere else, but mm-hmm. that's what human beings should be doing. It's what the best runners in the animal kingdom do too, is only through the nose. So once you understand that, then you can have a look at how much time you're spending with your mouth open day or night or during activity. The next one is that breathing should be silent all day and all night and you shouldn't make much noise even when you're exercising. So then compare yourself to that. Uh, the third one is that breathing should be predominantly with the diaphragm. And so there should be a move only a small movement at the solar plexus area of the body, which is the soft part under where the breastbone ends. So it's way above the navel, yet many people think that they should be moving their abdomen right down over the area of their navel when they breathe. That is also incorrect. So you should be moving at the solar plexus, and at the same level around the side ribs and the back ribs at that level as well. So, you know, upper abdomen area. And most people breathe with their upper chest or breathe so heavily that they've got their um, abdomen going in and out. Uh, the next thing is you should be breathing between 8 and 12 times a minute. And the average person is breathing about 17 and so that's, you know, taken on over over 6,000 times that I've checked people's breathing, about 17 during the day and that at night or maybe even faster.
2: And is 17 uh, because you're really breathing out of your chest and not out of your diaphragm?
3: Yeah, as soon as you lift lift to the upper chest, which is where most people are predominantly breathing, then the, the rate goes up. But it also goes up when you mouth breathe. mm Needs to be a link between mouth breathing, and you're more likely to be using your upper chest, and you're more likely to be going faster.
2: And is there any? Is it. there ever a time when you're supposed to? I've always heard breathe in through your nose, but if you're working out, it should be out through your mouth. And you're saying no, it should be in through the nose, in and out through the nose. And is there ever a because, time when you would breathe out of your mouth?
3: Uh, yes, when you're if you're doing karate and you're about to break a brick with your hand. Because apparently, with, when you do that forceful exhalation through your mouth, somehow that means that you won't smash your hand when you break the brick. So, as far as I know, that's the only time when you know when you should be doing that. Some, quite a few of the martial arts use very explosive outbreaths for a special effect. So I call that special effect breathing, and that yes, that can be through the mouth. But the, you know, running is not a special effect. We should be running breathing in and out the nose.
1: Actually That's makes it easier, right? Either. So you don't have to worry about uh, keeping your mouth open, breathing out, even when you're sleeping.
2: Now, when you run, do you breathe through your nose? hmm I do. In and out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because you always do that, like. That's my special, special effect effects breathing. breathing. Okay. I got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think I keep my mouth closed too. But then I was, you know, I was reading and watching online, and they were saying you should really breathe out through your mouth. So that's where I got confused, and I agree with the everybody breathes up in their chest, which is when I first started to take some deep breaths, I noticed that I had a really hard time taking a long inhalation because I just wasn't used to it.
3: Mm, yeah, and breathing like like that for so long, it's, it's such a habit to breathe fast and with the upper chest, and a and a habit to breathe through the mouth. And what happens is when you breathe through your mouth, it's like opening another window. The volume of the air comes right up. I and mean, people can try this now. If they put their hand on their breastbone, out the upper chest, and, and mm-hmm. breathe through the nose just just normally, not nothing fancy, breathe in and out the nose and feel how much movement is there. There mm-hmm. shouldn't be any, but there usually will be some. And then open your mouth and breathe, leaving the hand there
1: yeah there's more yeah, there's definitely sure. more yeah.
3: a much bigger breath, so yeah. you, know, this is the other critical thing we haven't talked about is the size of each breath this is This is the thing that is most missed or misrepresented with breathing, almost worse than the
1: encouragement. It, I was going to ask, in, is, and when you keep your mouth open, it's almost a natural byproduct to take in more air, right?
3: Yeah, it's like, as I say, like having an extra window open. You'll double or triple the size of the air coming in. Now, our lungs can hold between about four and five litres of air. That's their full capacity. But when you're sitting, resting, or when you're sleeping, you should only be using about 500 mil of air per breath. So it's only about one-eighth to one-tenth of the lung capacity is what we should have per breath. That's an efficient breath. That will give you more than all the oxygen that you need. In fact, most of the oxygen that comes in goes out again because we're already fully loaded up with it. And it will keep the oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in perfect balance and that drives the chemistry of every function of your body. But most people have been led to believe that we should use as much of our lung capacity as we can all the time. So they practice doing deep breaths you know, if 500 mils is normal, then they think taking a breath three to four times as as big and completely filling and emptying their lungs must be better than normal. And it's not. It's as as wrong as saying having double blood pressure is better for you than having normal blood pressure or double blood sugar levels will give you twice as much energy as normal blood sugar levels. I mean, no one would say that because they know that that's, that's harmful to your health. But with breathing, people have tried to say that, double, triple the normal is, is better for you. And there's a lot of people teaching breathing that way.
2: And yeah, I mean, that's okay. what I've seen. That I've seen that, you know, you should really take in a really full breath through the nose and then let it out as far as you can through the mouth. And so what I was wondering, though, is when you were talking about earlier, when we first started talking, you were talking about that um, this breathing technique that you learned eliminated your children's asthma. And I'm wondering how breathing can help eliminate asthma. Because I didn't That's think that the cool. two were necessarily re- related. I mean, I understand that when someone has an asthma attack, they can't breathe. But I didn't think it was triggered by the way you breathe.
3: Yeah, look, look it certainly is, and it, it is unknown. But when you think about it, you know, what? how can we set off an asthma attack in someone where we can make them laugh sometimes? So a bout of laughing can trigger an asthma attack Um, and exercise can trigger an asthma attack. And what do we do with laughing and exercise? We increase the volume of air we're breathing through our lungs. Now, it's normally okay okay to laugh and to exercise if you've got good breathing to start with. But if you are already breathing too much and then you add an even bigger breath, then that creates a problem. So with asthma, the, the lungs are inflamed and they produce mucus and the airways can go into spasm. And all those things are related to what's called over-breathing. So your average asthmatic is breathing 14 and a half litres per minute. That's according to the research. Five litres of air going through the lungs in a minute is normal. So we're talking about 8 to 12 breaths being normal. So if we choose the middle, 10. 10 breaths and they should be half a litre in size, 500 ml. 10 times 500 is 5 litres per minute is what the average adult should breathe. And the average adult with asthma in between attacks, when they're just resting, is breathing 14.4 litres per minute. So their breathing rate is about three times normal all the time. Now what that does is it means that they're taking in three times more air into the lungs and particularly if they're not using their nose to filter it, that's three times as much pollen um fumes, um, cat dander, cigarette smoke or whatever is there. So that can cause an irritation to the lungs and inflammation just from the high volume breathing. It also dries the lungs out which is another irritant to them and also if you're breathing three times as much air in you're breathing three times as much out so you're washing out more carbon dioxide from the lungs than you should be and carbon dioxide is a bronchodilator just like you know, bronchodilators like Ventolin and, and Bricanol. There's various others as well, different different brand names for bronchodilators. That's the role of carbon dioxide in the body. And what they've found at the research when, when they look with asthma is that people uh, with asthma have a low carbon dioxide level all the time. And then when it drops even lower past the critical threshold, then their airways spasm, which is the attack. So your average person with asthma who's breathing almost three times more than they should be, when they increase it further by going under stress, or exercising, or laughing, unless they've recently had their medication, then they can get the, the attack, the tightening of the airways. So it's all explained, you know, very logically and with with just known science. But there's very very few people with this condition who actually understand that. And that's why you know as soon as you teach them um, you know what's what's going on with their breathing and how that they're breathing too much and they start then to close their mouth and breathe more gently through their nose that these symptoms you know reduce very very quickly
1: well i'm like I'm like in school here
2: no because... I mean, we, it, it really is like school because I had a friend that had really intense asthma and yeah. you know would end up in the ER yeah you know she was already older and and ending up in the ear and I'm sure she had no idea.
1: Right. I, I just wanted to ask before we go to our second break, mm-hmm. what is what happens when we use that asthma inhaler? You know what um, I mean when I say, you know when what does that do?
3: Well, it it relaxes, well, it depends on which one you're talking about. So the, the reliever inhaler, the bronchodilator, it dilates the bronchial tube. So it the um you know, chemical compound in there if you like, relaxes the spasm of the airways. So they,
1: Oh, okay. So it calms them and, down, and really, it relaxes they, they them. Work, it doesn't it's yeah, not opening them up so that you can take in more air.
3: Well, you can because that's that's the problem is that when the airways are tightened you can't take in air which is which is scary. And and these these medications work very, very well. And they'll relax the airway and open it up. Um and so, you know, people who who have this condition must must use these
0: hmm. um,
3: medications. And you know, and the the work we do with them is to help them help themselves have have a greater level of control themselves and help prevent the symptoms happening.
1: Wow, yeah, that's interesting. Um, this is um, fantastic. We have learned so much already. We're going to take a second break, and when we come back. Maybe go into some of the benefits and some of the things that happen to us because we're not sleeping properly, right? Or breathing properly. Oh, breathing properly. Mm-hmm. Um, please stay with us. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and special guest Tess Graham. We'll be right back.
4: Charlie Labasco is an author, speaker, and trainer with over 40 years experience in the corporate workplace. Contact Charlie today to interact, influence, and inspire others in your organization. Whether it's a one-hour keynote presentation or a five-day training seminar, Charlie is available to speak on many topics, including making a difference in the workplace, even as one person, building shared leadership teams, and his signature award-winning seminar, Care Certification in the Workplace. Charlie speaking at your organization will make a difference on day one. For more information and to book Charlie, Go to charliespeaking.com That's dot speaking.com.
0: Let's get back to Charlie and Eva for more corporate talk on Talk Zone.
1: Okay, welcome back everyone to segment three of corporate talk with Charlie, Eva, and our very special guest, Tess Graham. Um, Tess is a breathing expert and the founder of breathability, um, and her website is not... Now, I know I should know this, test, but if we say breathability.com here in the States, do we have to put something on the end of that or will that take us right to you?
3: Uh, Look, that will take you right to me as long as people put the E on the end of the word breathe. Um, Right.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah, they type in breathability.com, they'll get someone else. Um, okay,
1: breathability. Right. Breathe B R E A T H E Ability dot com. And yeah. once in there you will see her book, Relief from Snoring and Sleep Apnea. And you can purchase that along with a CD companion. Um and also now there's um are these video programs uh Tess that you're working on?
3: Uh the online course is um it's on a platform where it features the videos of me teaching. It's got handouts. It's got audio um, and graphics. So it's, it copes with um, learning in, in lots of different ways. So it's very appealing to people who like to learn visually and, um, or who like to learn through listening. So it's done in a series of lessons, and you've got, I think, unlimited access once you've signed on to the program. You can keep coming back and doing more lessons or revisiting them. That's a brilliant, brilliant
1: idea. Yeah, I agree. And um, also, I, you know, I just want to take a minute to say we're a little intimidated, but certainly impressed by your expertise on the subject matter. I mean, we've learned so much. Yeah, we really have. Um, and, you know, we ask or we think about how and why have this on a corporate talk show. I mean, it's the this is life changing. Right. That's why I want to go slow here because this can change everything. This could be a game changer for people oversleeping because they were up all night or coming in. Um, I don't want to say angry and miserable, but a little, you know, off their game. Mm-hmm. Right, tired. Right, and um, I also wonder if the struggles at night lower your immune system or, you know, just make you more susceptible to other things. Um, so I really I really believe that <laughs> everyone should be educated on this subject. I just think it's fantastic. Um, I, well, I actually
2: have a question around it. So, Tess, when we um, – so we've been talking about the correct way to breathe, but I still don't quite understand – You know, when I've looked at other videos about how to breathe, they'll say, you know, do these exercises for, you know, I don't know, let's say five minutes a day or 30 breaths or whatever. But yet here, you're saying that if I learn how to breathe properly, it will then go into my sleep at night. And I'm kind of wondering, like, how can that be? Is that because I just will get used to it? There's like a muscle memory there. And then at night, I will just automatically breathe correctly after a while.
3: Yeah, look, that's a great question and a really common one asked by, especially by people whose breathing issues they think are only at night, as in snoring and sleep apnea. Cause they're mm. Seen as a nighttime problem, how can breathing exercises in the day change that? Well, um, the way you breathe is um, set up by a receptor in the back of your brain, in the, what's called the brain stem, the medulla area. And it's called the respiratory center. So it's a group of special cells there. And they drive your breathing in order to maintain a certain level of carbon dioxide in your blood. So if the carbon dioxide level in your blood gets too low, then the breathing receptors will send a message to your diaphragm to stop working for a while or to um, you know, work to a lesser degree to calm down so that you breathe less and your carbon dioxide builds up again. If your carbon dioxide level becomes too high, like say you're holding your breath, then this breathing receptor in the brain will measure that carbon dioxide and say, hey, you better breathe again now, and you'll start to feel terrible, and it it will force you to breathe. So that's the receptor. Now, it should have a setting to maintain carbon dioxide within the normal, physiological normal level in the blood. But if you have been chronically over-breathing, so chronically breathing too fast, breathing through your mouth, doing lots of sighs, doing lots of deep breathing, practice full inhalations, lots of full exhalations. Over time, the receptor loses its correct set point and changes. So you've basically reset the dial inadvertently through your habits. And so it's now got a new setting and this is what's happened with people with asthma and snoring and sleep apnea and chronic anxiety levels. Their receptors got them driving them to breathe enough air for two to three people. And they now feel that's normal, that they're suffering all these side effects because of it. So they got into that altered setting through their bad habits. So what we do as breathing educators is let them know what correct breathing is, let them know where they differ from that. And so we use exercises to retrain. So we call it breathing retraining. So we teach them to breathe again And they then change the setting of that receptor over time back hopefully to normal or as close to normal as possible. And each step of the way that they retrain and and that breathing center adapts again, they'll feel, feel better with every increment they get. So one of the wonderful things about this is it does not take long to start to feel the difference. Even if you're moving from very bad breather to half bad breather, uh, you're going to feel a change. I would actually expect people listening in, in now will be feeling a difference. Uh, I'm sure that you've got some listeners there who have closed their mouth while they're listening to this and will already notice that their nose is um, becoming less clogged. It's like a use it or lose it thing. And they will be adapting to this.
1: I, I have kept my mouth closed the whole time purposely. Yeah, I know. Me I too. 100%. And,
2: and, you know, that's really interesting because I know at night my mouth isn't closed. No. Yeah. And so that's why and my nose is clogged up. i probably too much information for everyone. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I definitely feel like I can't breathe through my nose. But then when I wake up, I typically don't breathe with my mouth open during the day, or at least I didn't think I was. And Mm. and my my head's not stuffy in the day. That's really interesting. I never really equated that that's what that meant. I always thought it was, well, maybe there is something there's allergens in the mattress that I'm
1: allergic to or it could also be um size and sleep position um I bet and everything is related. Um
3: Yeah, just being horizontal is, is one thing. Um from what, what Eva was saying, that the nose is more likely to be clogged when you lie down. It's just, mm-hmm. um, horizontal being, and gravity, then your, um, well, when you lie down, if your mouth comes open, your breathing volume will go up, which, um, creates the irritation on the airways, but also because the carbon dioxide level will drop, then the nasal tissues become swollen. And when you stand up in the morning and close your mouth, then the load comes off the breathing and then the nose will start to unblock with most people. Jeez.
2: No, this is really interesting. It really is because I have been researching it and just like I said, like probably within the last month, I started um, reading some more on it and different breathing techniques. And there's been a lot, there's a lot of videos out and a lot of different books on breathing techniques. And I was just looking at it as a way to help with energy. I mean, no no one ever talks about it helping snoring.
1: Well, and and what we're learning here is um snoring and asthma relief and sleep apnea really are just the tip of the iceberg of the benefits from proper breathing.
2: Yeah, and so what are some of the other benefits? Like I would think that increased energy is a big benefit. Um but what else have we have are there other benefits that we haven't talked about yet, Tess?
3: Yeah, there's a lot. Um, so w- when you've got your breathing perfectly normal, I mean, the human body was very well designed and really people can overcomplicate breathing and I mean, you've done a lot of research on this and you've probably heard some very complex ways of doing breathing, you know, in one nostril and out the other and yeah. whatever, but it's, act- it's actually much more simple than that. As I say, it should be just through the nose uh, with the diaphragm, the correct rate and the correct volume, which is small, and then everything will function well. Now, the benefits of this are when you've got that correct ratio between oxygen and carbon dioxide, most people only focus on oxygen.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know That's already an issue. You need the correct balance between the two because carbon dioxide is actually critical for the chemistry of your body. So when you've got that balance right, everything works better So when the carbon dioxide level is where it should be and not too low, which it is in most people, it maintains your blood vessels dilated, as we've already talked about it, dilating your airways. But it also dilates blood vessels. So when it's at the normal level, you've got your blood vessels working as they should all around your body. So better circulation everywhere, uh, less muscle fatigue, um, clearer thinking, you're going going to have more oxygen arriving in your brain and, and your heart and your muscles, everywhere so better oxygen delivery and also better oxygen uptake by all your cells when carbon dioxide level is normal it's called the Bohr effect I mean people don't need to know that really but it's just basic physiology that we need this correct level of carbon dioxide in the blood and so you're going to have better circulation everywhere and also um, everything is going to function better including the immune system because carbon dioxide is involved in the production of virtually every hormone and enzyme in the body. So when its level is normal, then the body can work as it's so beautifully designed to do. Uh, There's also fantastic effects on the gut. So many people these days suffer from irritable bowel symptoms. And this is also related to incorrect breathing, because when you over-breathe, you get spasm of smooth muscle also in the um, not only in the blood vessels and in the airways, but also in the wall of the gut. So when you breathe correctly, the gut wall can relax. so a lot of indigestion, colic reflux um, and just you know poor digestive processes. a lot of that can normalize as well. Wow. other thing that happens is that with that balance between those two gases, your body then slips more easily into what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. This is the rest and digest stage. So you'll be much more relaxed, cool under pressure. Whereas when people over-breathe, they're in what's called sympathetic overdrive. It's like having your foot on the accelerator all the time.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. So they're buzzing all the time. Sometimes you can't tell this looking at someone from the outside, but it's on the inside. Um, It's like they're sitting on the outside, but they're running on the inside. When they are hyped up with sort of breathing, and that interferes with sleep, it's tied in with insomnia but of course all the anxiety and stress and and panic disorders are tied in with this as
1: well it's sort of like we just hit lotto e i'm just beside myself this is fantastic (laughs) we have to take our final break but please when we come back we'll recap everything plus i have one more question and maybe eva may have some questions this is just fantastic please stay with us this is corporate talk with charlie and eva and very special guest Tess graham
4: we'll be right back Let Charlie Labosco show you how to revolutionize your presence in the workplace. Charlie is looking to improve the workplace, and by that he means your relevance in it. Charlie has over 40 years in the corporate workplace. He has seen the unbelievable, mind-boggling, off-the-charts changes in technology, but no real change in our day-to-day and sometimes toxic workplace behavior. Charlie's mission is to revolutionize the workplace by providing the training and the tools needed to lead any organization, regardless of your job description. For more about Charlie and how to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, visit charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com.
0: Welcome back to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com.
2: Thanks for staying with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is Tess Graham. And you can learn more about Tess and her work at Breathe, that's B-R-E-A-T-H-E, ability.com. And you can also add the .au at the end as well. Both will get you there. Um, and her book is available on Amazon, which is Relief from Snoring and Sleep Apnea. And you can also get the um, accompanying CD or MP3 to also guide you through those exercises. So Tess, I'm just sitting here shocked because I know when we had spoken at um, at the summit, you had said that you had relief for it, and I started looking up other things, like I said, and I thought that I was a chronic underbreather. You were and now, going down
1: the symptoms road.
2: Yeah, and now I'm finding out that I am, since I was a kid, a chronic overbreather, and I'm I'm kind of amazed. And <laughs> but the problem is, is now I'm like sitting here thinking about my breathing and i can feel myself breathing extra fast because now i'm nervous that oh, am i breathing right am i breathing slow but i think at the end of the day when if we were to look at like your online course you would just show us it's at, it seems like it's a fairly straightforward much more straightforward than any of the other things that i've been looking at like you said you know breathing through one nostril breathing through the other nostril exhaling fully through your just mouth just keep your mouth closed yeah this just seems like it's so much easier and smarter.
3: Yeah, it's it's a way of life. I mean, the way, the way we should, it's just, it's really, really simple. But one of the difficulties is that um, we have to undo the concepts and maybe yeah. even the practices that people have done before. So it's, it's interesting when you think some of the, the what, it's usually very easy to retrain someone's breathing as long as they follow the steps um, yeah.
1: this way. We can see how calm and grounded your demeanor is, I guess, as a direct result of practicing what you preach.
2: No, exactly. And so I was wondering about the carbon dioxide because I never really thought about that. But is it the carbon dioxide, too, that can add to anxiety or is it just the breathing and the effect on the gut that adds to anxiety? Or is it both? No, the, the carbon,
3: carbon dioxide directly, I mean, one of the... Um, one of the treatments they used to use for a panic attack was to get someone to rebreathe into a paper bag.
2: Right.
3: So you've probably heard about that. It's not not promoted any- anymore, but it was the classic treatment. So now they'll tell people to cup their hands near their mouth and rebreathe if they're having a panic attack to slow down. Now, what are they doing when they're rebreathing? They are rebreathing some of their exhaled carbon dioxide, so they will build it up again because it's known that a panic attack is triggered when carbon dioxide drops too low. Interesting. So oh, that is interesting. Over, over-breathing chronically without knowing about it, it's, it's what we call hidden hyperventilation or hidden over-breathing. It's what every person with asthma does. It's what every person with, who snores and has sleep apnea does if they over to a certain extent, but you can't really see it unless you know what to look for. So their baseline carbon dioxide is lower than it, should be, which means that they're on the on the edge, on the brink. It doesn't take much to push them into something. So someone with chronic anxiety is there at that low level, maybe not realising it all the time, but their their fuse is shortened, if you like. So just a small event will then push them over the edge into a major um, anxiety episode or panic episode. So
1: what interesting.
3: With, with with normalizing that baseline level, getting your baseline as close to normal as possible, gives you a wonderful level of protection against what's going on in your world. We can't do that much about these external stresses there. But if you are grounded in good breathing, you're going to be grounded in correct body chemistry. And so you will be so affected so much less by what's going on. You won't be so trigger-happy anymore.
1: Excellent advice. Um, You know... I wanted to ask, we have about three minutes or so left, and I want to recap some of the tips, but um, I first want to ask, and I know we talk about ADHD in children, but it's also diagnosed in adults like myself. And so how can breathing or can breathing properly help relieve some of those symptoms? Yes,
3: there's research out now Um, linking um, ADHD diagnosis in children uh, with, that, I think, fundamentally now in at least 50% of cases of children diagnosed with ADHD, that the real underlying issue is actually a sleep-breathing problem, that these children actually probably have sleep-disordered breathing. And this is leading to the daytime symptoms in many of these children. Um, So... This means, of course, that they have a, a breathing problem full stop. Although this is not you know, not the link that everyone's making. They're now linking ADHD in children to what's happening, that they're not sleeping, that their breathing is not good during sleep. They've you know, got stop-start breathing or heavy snoring at night. But, of course, if they've got that going on during their sleep, I know that they're also not breathing correctly during the day, which means that if children breathe correctly then there'd be much less um, evidence of sleep disordered breathing and also of ADHD symptoms, according to this research.
1: Very interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, and I love yeah. the, what you mentioned earlier, that it doesn't take long to start seeing results, which I love that too, right? We have to start practicing. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we have to do the i would say
3: there, though, that it's, um, breathing is very, very powerful, And so if people listening to this, you know, think, well, I've been breathing enough air for three people, then I'm going to try and breathe for one. That's too dramatic a change. So you need to be careful with this and and respect it. You need to wind back the habits slowly. And even then you're going to get, you're going to notice an improvement straight away. But you must not do it too quickly. So we... You know, and this is what the online course guides you with. It's what the book guides you with. Um, but it's not what all breathing, people who teach breathing out there would, would, would do. So you need to take it very carefully and wind it back.
1: Well, there one thing we learned from testing. just talking to you, Tess, is how complicated the body is, right? And uh, the fact that you are and have proven to be an expert, I don't think we would want to go forward without you in our corner, right? No,
2: I would agree. And, you know, I was just thinking about something, too, is that I used to say when I was taking acting classes a long time ago that sometimes when I would get nervous, I would say to the teacher, I'm running out of air. I would run out of air, and nobody knew what I meant. But I was. I would literally run out of air, and it's because my – I think I would hold on to my breath, not breathe when I got scared, and then – And then try to make up for it and then over breathe. It was just a mess. And so, but nobody ever said work on
1: your breathing, that that could really calm you down and it could help you. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, so Tess, we have about a minute or so left at a high level of going back to my notes uh, before I get the book. um, I have breathe through your nose at all times, keep your mouth closed, use your diaphragm, um, and try to get between 8 to 10, 8 to 12 breaths per minute as a be yeah. silent I'd, you I'd breathe. like to
3: comment on that. Um, people who have got a chronically clogged up nose should not try and become 100% nose breather straight away because it's very stressful. I mm. suggest that they try and breathe more gently through their mouth to start with. Um, okay. That's an easier way to go into it. And also do not try to teach yourself to breathe 8 to 12 breaths a minute. That also can cause difficulties. It's the correct way to breathe, but it happens naturally when you correct the other breathing habits in a step-by-step fashion. And the other thing that's really important is that because we did talk about asthma and asthma medications, is that people do not change any of their medications that their doctors have prescribed without their doctors okay about that.
1: Right. No, I agree. And thank you for resetting me. (laughs) Well, Tess, this has been fantastic. We are out of time. Uh, We thank you. We'd love to have you back. Um, And, you know, have a great, I don't know, is it day or night there?
3: It's just morning here now. I've got the whole day. Have a
1: fantastic day because you're doing great things and we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tess. This has been wonderful and informative. It's been perfect. So thank you.
3: Well, thank you for the opportunity.
1: Take care. Um, and once again, that's uh, breathability with it's an, an E.com. E e mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Anybody has any questions, just reach out during the week. CT radio info at gmail.com. This has been a great show. And thanks again to Tess
2: Graham and her great book. So you can find that again on breathability.com. So thank you so much,
1: everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Have a great week. And also thank you to our producer, Dave Olson, who does a fantastic job. Take care, everyone. Have a good week.
0: for